Hello and welcome to the Infertility Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Candice. Grab a biscuit because we've got the tea on all things infertility. Welcome to episode two of the Infertility Podcast. If you'd like to stay up to date, you can visit my Instagram at Operation Baby Bump. If you'd like to get connected with others in the infertility community, you can visit our website at www.theinfertility.com. So I had a really interesting phone conversation today with a nutritionist. You did? Yeah. So I got some testing done with my chiropractor's office just in an effort to try and find out a little bit more about my health and wellness and my insurance covers it, so why not? They do a blood test, urine test, and then they cut a chunk out of my hair. Shave. Don't they shave it out your hair? No, she mm. like she lifted up my hair in the back and then cut it really close to the scalp. There's like a patch gone. And Has I call it grown it, back? No, I can't. I can't even find it really. It was I remember you showing me and it felt like like very spiky. It's like when you cut your Barbie doll's hair and you cut it right to the Barbie's head. Yeah. And it's like spiky but fuzzy. It's a it's a strange sensation. So part of it was that I got all these results back and this nutritionist called me today to go over the results with me. He had some suggestions about how I should be gluten, wheat, dairy, sugar-free, so... Basically, no life. Right. So, basically, water. I'll have a glass of water. I'm stuffed. (laughs) I was enjoying my conversation with him until he said, and I quote, Is there a reason why you've been trying so long to get pregnant? Are you feeling pressure? From friends and family? Is he from California and a surfer no, dude? I'm just, I'm just doing a man's voice. Oh, that was a man's voice. Yeah, to which I said, um, no, I want children. And he said, well, you've been trying for nearly a decade. That's a long time. He is a, he's clearly a scientist. He's like, no, that is a long time. That's over 3,000 days in 10 years, apart from it's been eight years. I just... I, I don't feel the need to round eight years up to ten years. Like, it's it's bad enough that I've been going through this for eight years, that we've been going through this for eight years, but to then add some years to it, willy-nilly, it seems a little unnecessary. Can you imagine if we did that with kids? You know, like, they talk about their child being 18 months and things like that, and then we just round it up. Oh, no, he's 42 months now. <laughs> but he was born last month. Yeah, we're just rounding up. That's ridiculous. We're just adding time onto yeah, things that... That's not how time works. Yeah, you don't just need to... It has some pretty to, strict constraints. Yeah, you know? just don't add time yeah, to things. Yeah, don't do that. Don't round up time. Yeah. Unless it's a timesheet and you're a lawyer billing, in which case they probably do round up. I bet he has this habit because people are probably asking him, oh, how long have you been a nutritionist? And he says, 25 years, mm-hmm. when it's really been like two months. Yeah. Didn't we just celebrate your 35th birthday? Yeah. 25 years, dude. So I didn't like him, and he's not my friend. Okay. Well, sorry about that. Um, I wanted to fight him. What sort of fight? 
like a fisticuffs. Fisticuffs. Okay, cool. So I, I'd say that you'd have him. You've, you're very scrappy. Speaking of fighting. Yes. We don't really hear much from Charlie Puth these days, right? I don't get the reference. Charlie Puth, the singer. Nope. What's he saying? Um, you just want attention, honey from the star. I didn't realize that was a song. I thought it was just like, okay, that's enough. I've heard enough. It's terrible. Anyways, I don't know why me wanting to fight the nutritionist made me think of this, but I was driving to work this morning and they were, were talking about Charlie Puth having some kind of row with Nick Jonas. And I was like, are they going to have a celebrity fight? I don't know. But if I had the name Charlie Puth, I wouldn't be picking fights with anyone. That just kind of leaves the door open for jokes. really easy jokes. Yeah, real easy jokes. Yeah, interesting. Like, I'm going to punch you in, in the Puth. Yeah, no, I wouldn't have gone that direction. I'm going to knock yeah. your Puth out. All that direction. <laughs> it's just, uh, you're not very good at the insult game, are you? No. No. But his last name's Puth, and that sounds stupid. How is that spelled? P-U-T-H. Puth. I also feel stupid saying his name, so I'm going to quit now. All right, Charlie. My day was boring. Manchester City beat Liverpool. We're not talking about sports here. Just I feel like I feel like Jan telling Michael we're not having this conversation. Office reference. Yeah. <laughs> we just started binge-watching The Office. I personally have seen a few episodes here and there, but I never really got into it. Daniel, I think... I've seen a good couple of seasons. You've seen, you've seen more than one episode? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've seen one a couple of seasons. Well, I'm just getting into it, yeah. and I really like it. It's fantastic. But Daniel definitely reminds me of Michael Scott. That's not true. No way. It's true. I'm Jim. If anyone, I'm Jim. You are not Jim. I'm a Jim. Mm. You're name, a Jim, Jim Michael hybrid. A Jim, uh, no, I'm a Jim. You're uh, Actually, you're a Jim Dwight hybrid. Yeah, no, I believe that. Jim Dwight <laughs> hybrid. I'd take that. I am. Oh, that's not... Rules are important, but yeah. at the same time, having fun is good. It's funny. Daniel used to be a supervisor when we lived in Texas, and... I used to call him, well, still sometimes do call him Logo Man, because he would get on to people if the logo on their shirt was bigger than a credit card. There's, that's there's who I'm married to, that. guys. Texas is a non-unionized state, and they brought in the rule of no logos bigger than a credit card, because that would there'd be less chance of someone inciting a union. So you have to apply that rule across the board. You can't just say, oh no, just because it's a Lacoste shirt, the logo can be huge. You have to apply it across the board. I don't make the rules. Oh, I'm sorry. I fell asleep just then. Okay. I apologize. I didn't I just mean to bring that up. It was important to give you information. I just wanted to point out how boring Daniel is. But Thanks. let's talk about something else. Let's talk about something even more boring than that. <laughs> boring. <laughs> And that would be our infertility. Boo. Boring. Just boring. Snooze fest. Snooze fest. I believe in our last episode, we left off with us moving to Texas. We built a house. 
lots of room for lots of babies. We were really excited about trying. When I got off birth control after our wedding, I was really hoping that I'd secretly get pregnant. I believe I touched on that in our last podcast. Um, but it was actually a really good thing that we didn't get pregnant because we were so poor. So poor. And that was right, because we spoke about Zaxby's. Yeah, we did. We talked about Zaxby's. Oh, man, Zaxby's. I want that so bad. Our house in Texas had four bedrooms, an office, a game room. It was quite large, and we had plans to fill that house with babies. I remember how excited I was to get into our house. It was our first house. I was excited about decorating, but what I was most excited about was starting a family. I was most excited about the game room and the fact that we would have a table tennis table. Yeah, whiff-waff. Whiff-waff. Man, what a sport. We had a whiff-waff table in there and it was fun. Man, so much fun. I remember when we first started trying, I would go to the baby section Every single time I was at Target or any store, I would go to the baby section and I would touch the little footy pajamas and hold the little socks and the shoes and just feel so many feelings because I was finally, I've always wanted to be a mom ever since my sister was born when I was 15, so to finally be married and at a place in my life where I could try to have a child was so overwhelming. I also remember when we first started trying, you weren't really into it. Well, that was 2011. We were so poor, we could barely afford to feed ourselves because I was fully behind having babies. Right. Yeah, 100%. You were fully behind it, but... Every time, every month that it didn't happen was not that big of a deal to you. Yeah, no, it was definitely a big deal to me. I think the difference for me was possibly that I'm an optimist when it comes to these things. I'm like, well, it wasn't this month, it'll happen next month. And then next month turned into next year, and then the next year. And then we're seven years down the line. And then you start to think, well, is this ever going to happen for us? Yeah, so I think it's different for guys in that it's not their body telling them that they're not pregnant every month. Yeah. So for us women, we are feeling, oh, here comes my period. My period's going to come. And of course, guys don't know when your period's going to come because they're not very perceptive about stuff like that. We soon find out. Yeah, you soon find out. But anyways. When, When we forget to do one thing... And World War Three starts, all of a sudden we realize it's yeah. a bad time. But it takes World War Three to actually get it through their pea brains. But here's, here's a, a message for all those ladies out there. Rather than not tell someone that you're in a bad mood and just expect them to realize, maybe just do everyone a favor and be like, hey, listen, I'm about to start bleeding. I'm going to be in a bad mood. <laughs> Can you... Okay, no. But why I'm not? Sorry. Why do women no. have to make it so difficult? It's not being difficult. It's that it's about social cues. 
Yeah, but we're in a relationship. Social cues are something there are still social cues in a relationship. No, yes, there are. There is when you're dating, not when you're married and you've seen each other at your very worst. Why would you need to play those games? There That's are still simple. social cues to pick up on. Tomato, tomato. I'm sorry. For instance, today, Daniel was in a very crabby mood. And I said, you know what? We don't have to record our podcast because I could just tell he was in a bad mood. That's called picking up on a social cue. The difference, I'm in a bad mood once in a blue moon. Candace's normal is bad mood. So it's like, well, Well, which? that's not true, but... 75%. My mood fluctuates. She just burped and blew it away from the microphone. <laughs> but I do remember when we had been trying, you were not really too concerned for a really long time. So I kind of feel like I've always been a little, maybe one or two steps ahead of you in that feeling really, really upset and like it's not happening. But for anyone who knows you, you you can they'll tell you that Candace, if she's not getting her own way and it's out of her control, it is not a good feeling for her. She is a control right. freak. I am a control freak, and that's true. And, you know, in the beginning I thought, oh, God's probably teaching me a lesson in patience. Okay, I understand. But after nearly eight years of that, it's kind of like... How, how I've much... got the lesson. Yeah, I've got it. I've graduated. Gotcha. Thanks. I could teach the whole class on it. Give me my freaking baby. Exactly. I want two legs. I want two arms. Give me some toes. I don't care about the genitalia. I am not bothered if it's a boy or a girl or somewhere in between. Just give us... Actually, I, don't... I would rather have a boy. Let's be honest. And I'd rather have a girl, but... You know what? Twins. I used to always say that I'd rather have a girl. But right now, I really don't care. Yeah, me neither, really. I just want a human baby. Like, we have two dog babies, and a human baby would just top that. Yeah. After so long of trying, I became really, really depressed and bitter and angry. I think we had been trying for probably two years at that point. Man, that was only a year then. The first the first Christmas we spent in our house was a disaster. It was a white <laughs> Christmas. It snowed. Snowed on Christmas it Day. It snowed on Christmas Day. We it was the first year in our house. It was beautiful outside. Oh, amazing. It should have been the most magical, amazing time. But it wasn't. I was so depressed. I think my cousin's wife was pregnant at that time with their first. And since we had been trying, that was the first pregnancy amongst the cousins. So that was really hard to go through. And I remember getting my food. I went in the bedroom. My whole family was over for Christmas. And I went in the bedroom, sat in the bed, and I just cried. It was so bad. Do you remember... Just before Christmas, we had your Uncle Billy, Jonice, Taylor, um, Ryan around for cards. 
and we were all playing cards and then Ramsey out of nowhere walked up by the table <laughs> and dropped the largest loaf I have ever <laughs> seen him do. And we all, all of us just stood there in like just shock because he's like crouched over giving it one on the floor. And we're all just dying laughing. You remember that? Yeah, that oh was ridiculous. Gosh. And he's house trained, so yeah. he's never done that before. He used to go out like every hour as well. Yeah. There was no excuse. He just wanted to mark his territory <laughs> with an absolute Mount Everest of a loaf. It was hilarious. Oh, man. Why are we talking about I poop? Just, it came back to me when we started talking about 2012. And that story there, like, I don't think I've laughed like that in my life. My sides hurt. (laughs) Hilarious. That was pretty funny. After that Christmas, I had a really tough conversation with my gynecologist. I said, I want to get pregnant. What can we do? We had done the Clomid. We had done all those stupid pills that you take. The letrozole, whatever. I don't even remember all this stuff, but I do remember, you know, you have to do at least six rounds of Clomid. You have to do at least this many rounds of this, this many, and nothing was happening at all. After all of that stuff was a fail, we ended up going to see a fertility specialist for the very first time in 2013. What testing did they do at the fertility clinic? They did some blood work. They did a semen analysis for you. Which I would like to talk about. I bet you would because that was the first time he got any test results back like that and it was like an A++. Let's talk about that because what the paperwork said was normal, right? It just said normal and it's the first time in the entirety of my life that I've been overwhelmed by being called normal. Right. You know, like usually you're like, Ah, normal, you know, I'm a C-plus student, I'm happy with that. But when it comes to your semen and someone calls you normal, (laughs) like, you feel elated. You're like, well, how about that? Right. Everything's working. And my tests, all my tests came back normal. Normal. And so we were sitting there thinking, well, I'm normal. What the bloody hell is it? Yeah, I'm normal, you're normal, you're normal, what's going on? And that's when we got the diagnosis of unexplained infertility. Which basically means, yes, we're doctors. Yes, we have years and years of training. But no, we have no idea what the issue is. And we can't help you. So they suggested that we try a procedure called an IUI. Which stands for? Intrauterine insemination. So if you've done IVF, chances are you may have already done an IUI. Unless you have something to where you wouldn't have gotten pregnant on an IUI. But we did one, and all I remember from that time period is I had to do an Ovidrel shot for a trigger, and I was so scared that I drove to my cousin's house, who is a paramedic, and had him give me the shot. That's what a big green weenie I was back then. Didn't he come around for something else? So I thought Lane came around one night to actually do another shot for you. Maybe there were two. Yeah, because I Because I don't remember. I remember him at our house. I do remember going over to their place. Yeah, and it was like I had to give it at midnight or something. It was like 12 hours before. Or yeah, something. yeah, or something like that. So maybe there were two trigger shots. But I distinctly remember 
being like, I don't ever want to have to do that again. So when, oh, and the procedure itself to me hurt. I used to, you know, when I used to get my lady exams, I used to hate that because the speculum and all of that, I hated it. It hurt. I used to have friends go with me. Did you ever have a doctor yell in there and go, hello, hello, hello? No. So the IUI was a fail. And at that time, I remember being really upset. They suggested that we do it a second time. They actually suggested that we do it up to three times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to me, timing was not our issue. I had a basal thermometer. I had apps. I was charting everything. We were timing everything. And I feel like IUIs help people who maybe don't have the timing right. But I didn't suspect that that was an issue for us. So I didn't want to waste any more money. Which is really funny because I think that cost us like twelve hundred dollars. Uh, yeah, it was. It may have been less, but yeah. And at that time, we were like, "Oh my god, oh my this gosh. is expensive." That's how many dollar bills? <laughs> we were just really. We were thinking, if we do this two more times and it doesn't work, well, we can't go to England. Yeah. This year. So we decided not to do it again. Do first. <laughs> We are such doofuses. Now I look back at that and I think of the small amount of money that is and how bothered we were by it. Cheese and rice. If we knew what we were getting into, we'd have had aneurysms. I'm really glad, though, that we didn't do any more IUIs because it oh, wouldn't 100%. have worked for us. No, it, it wouldn't have. After that IUI, we continued just trying on our own and we kept trying and kept trying I had started a new job right after we did the IUI. In fact, we were still waiting to hear if I was pregnant or not. With that job, I was traveling for work and I was in charge of doing this big presentation a few months into the job. I was working a lot and let's just be honest Infertility kills the sex life. I'm just going to say that. If you're listening, you know what I'm talking about. It's unfortunate, and it's something that a lot of people don't talk about, but... Thank goodness for side chicks. That's all I can say. (laughs) (laughs) What a dick you are. (laughs) Anyways, intimacy can totally be ruined by this whole thing. So I believe we hadn't baby danced in months. Three months. Yeah. So Not that I was counting. I went on a business trip to California, gave this big presentation that I'd been working on. I came home. We went to England for two weeks, got home. A week or so passed, and I woke up in the middle of the night. It was like 4 a.m. with this horrible pain. I mean, I thought my appendix had burst. It was so bad. And I woke Daniel up and I said, Daniel, what is our insurance copay for the emergency room? And I I said (laughs) $250. (laughs) At four in the morning, he knew exactly what it was. I remember you being in pain. And you were scared. Like you terrified. I thought you, I thought it was your appendix. Yeah. And you were Googling, I was kind of wallowing in pain, 
and you said, okay, get dressed, I'll take you to the emergency room. And I laid there for a little bit longer and I said, well, let me have a shower first. So I went and took a shower and you said, did you pee on a stick? I said, no, we haven't had sex in so long. It can't be that. And you said, well, just, just take a test just in case. So I peed on a stick, got in the shower and just left it on the side because if you've taken a hundred pregnancy tests and you see negative every single time, at some point you just stop looking and you just start throwing them away because you know what it's going to say and you don't want to see the one pink line. So I just set it on the side and to be honest with you, I completely forgot that I even took a test. It was probably five in the morning at that point. I was getting dressed. You were kind of getting ready for work because you were going to take me. Yeah, I was heading to a training class. I went over into the bedroom and started getting ready. You brought me the test and you said, it's positive. You don't remember that? No, five years ago. you You were brushing your teeth. I remember this perfectly. You're brushing your teeth and you brought the test into the bedroom and you said, I think this is positive. You were like pointing at the lines and you're pointing at the picture of how many lines it was supposed to be if it was positive. And I looked at it and that was the first time I had ever seen a positive pregnancy test. I couldn't believe that the test was positive. I really couldn't believe my eyes. So at that time, the pain had gone away and I kind of forgot about the pain and I was more excited about the positive pregnancy test. So I drove to CVS really quick. I got two different brands. I said to the clerk as she was checking me out, I said, I think I'm pregnant. And she was like, yeah, great. Cool. She had this stupid grin on her face and I just thought, now I think back and think, what if she was infertile and I was sitting there? What a bitch. (laughs) I went home. I peed on all of them. And then I was left. Which may I say is a great waste of pregnancy tests. It is, but we had to be sure. You peed on like six. You're the person who told me to go get more pregnancy tests. Yeah, I mean, that seems like a reasonable request. So then I was left with five positive pregnancy tests. I called my doctor, went in for a blood test. They called me hours later and they said, you're pregnant. And I couldn't believe it. How long had we been home from England? Because we visited England. Probably about a week. It was not that long at all. Awesome, was it? And while you were in England, you weren't feeling great. Yeah, I was so tired. I took naps every single day. Yeah. Yeah, because I think what happened is once we found out you were pregnant, we started to think about what we'd been through in the past three months, and it all started to kind of add up, didn't it? Right. It was like, oh, yeah, you did sleep. Yeah, you were sick in the morning and things like that. Yeah, and that was the other thing. Because Because we hadn't had sex in three months, we were all of a sudden... In the second trimester, basically. I was like 11 weeks and five days or something. So that happened on a Friday when we found out we were pregnant. My doctor said my progesterone was a little low, so they put me on progesterone through the weekend. They wanted to recheck my bloods on the Monday. I went in, they drew my blood, and they said, hey, we have an opening for a sonogram because... 
I had requested an ultrasound because of the pain I had. I thought, oh, well, if I'm pregnant, that pain was not a good thing. So I don't know what that was. And they said, oh, no, don't worry about it. Pain is normal when you're pregnant. It's probably things stretching or what have you. But I can tell you that that pain was not normal. It was a searing pain, wasn't it? It was like a hot. I was in I was in the fetal position in bed and I could not straighten out my body. I was kind of just crippled for a second. So I asked Daniel, hey, can you come? They have an opening at 10. Can you get off work and come to this ultrasound? So he left work. He came and she was feeling around on my uterus from the outside. She was pushing down on my stomach and she went, hmm, and had this kind of like look on her face, like a very puzzled look. And I said, is something wrong? And she said, your uterus is just a little bit small. And she said, but let's take a look. So she put the ultrasound wand in. I remember Daniel pulling out his phone to take video. And for some reason, I just had a bad feeling. And I told him to put his phone up. So he put it back in his pocket. And we both looked at the screen. And there was nothing there. There was like this big black womb. And nothing inside. And we just kind of stared at it like, well, what does that mean? My doctor was so just concerned. My, I believe it was my left ovary was enlarged. enlarged yeah. And it was huge. It was like almost as big as that big black abyss. Yes. In my uterus. And by big black abyss, I mean there was a sack and there was no baby in the sack. So she looked and looked and looked and couldn't find the pregnancy. So she immediately sent us to the radiology department at the hospital. So we went from being really excited that we were going to see our baby to what? What's happening? Am I going to die? She mentioned something about surgery, and it was all very scary. So we spent hours in the radiology department, which was in the basement of that hospital. It was really sketchy. Texas Health Resources, and it was just like rednecks running We had no cell phone service. Yeah, and like people just... You, like, they didn't seem like they were qualified. They were highly insensitive. Hey, I'm going to go ahead and do this right now, Barbara. And we were sitting bad. out in the hallway of this, like, basement. And it was really weird. Shady. Someone else performed an ultrasound. And they used the actual thing that goes on the belly this time. And the vaginal wand. And they determined that it was a pregnancy of unknown location. Surprise, it's in your foot. <laughs> Where is it? It might be in your purse. Why don't you check there? Take a look. Woo, it's in your armpit hanging from your hairs. And that's the story of our ectopic pregnancy in 2014, which is such a horrible memory, but it happened. Shortly after that, we moved to South Carolina and I started a school to get my bachelor's degree in psychology. We kept trying that whole time. In 2015, we had 
another miscarriage. This time it was really weird because it was, I didn't even know I was pregnant and I miscarried. I knew that I miscarried because I, I saw it, unfortunately. That was pretty sad. After we miscarried in 2015, I remember it was really weird because it was about a month before I had a lady appointment. And I met with her and told her, yeah, I just suffered another miscarriage. And she looked at me and she said, listen, we can be as aggressive as you'd like. So let me know when you're ready. She said, I recommend this fertility clinic that gets women pregnant that I thought would never get pregnant. So I was really excited. And I really appreciated that because it gave me hope. Not long after I met with her, I remember being in school and I was 16 days late. I took a home pregnancy test. It was negative, but my period still hadn't come and my cycles were pretty regular. And I remember going to her office to get blood work done and they called me when I was in my biology lab class of all places. And I just remember getting that phone call and her being like, no, it's negative. And I was so mad. I was so mad that yet once again, I felt hopeful that my period hadn't arrived yet and that I could be pregnant and I wasn't yet again. And I thought, I'm so done with this. And that's when I started talking to you about IVF. Do you remember that? I felt like we were going to be poor for the rest of our lives due to how much it cost. It was something I knew we couldn't afford, but I also knew that if I was going to get pregnant ever, that's that we were going to need help. We discussed IVF. We decided to take her recommendation and meet with the fertility clinic that she suggested, and we had our first consult with them in December of 2016. Since we've been there, let me remind you that the date is January 3rd, 2019. We have been with that clinic for two years. We have endured three rounds of IVF. On our first round, we got three embryos. We lost them all at separate times. We did an ERA test that showed I was pre-receptive, so we made accommodations for that. After we lost our last embryo in March, and we weren't really sure what to do next, we ended up doing two more rounds of IVF back-to-back. We batched our embryos so that we could save money of all things and get them PGS tested at one time. And we ended up with five more embryos. Since then, we've lost another two embryos, totaling five embryos lost. At this point, we are working with a doctor in New York, a reproductive immunologist, to hopefully get more answers, more tests done on exactly what might be at play with all these recurrent implantation failures, and I'm not willing to do any more IVF at this point until we have more answers. So that is the story of our infertility. We have it pretty bad. On the next episode of the Infertility Podcast, they said, what? (laughs)